Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, I always promise you're in the right place. And we always deliver because it's true. What's the buzz on the street? Well, let's go back to our childhood. I'm going to tell mom on you. Anybody live through that? Anybody say it? Anybody remember it? Of course. Okay, let's talk. What's going on here? Women remain underrepresented in government on boards of directors, in the C-suite, and in influential business roles. What is going on? Well, there's often an unconscious bias. How can you tell mom that your brother or your sister or your colleague did it if they're not even aware? Uh, one of my panelists, I'll introduce them in a moment, told me that, and listen to this, a man named John or a man named David is more likely than a woman to be invited to be on a board of directors. Just let that sit in there for a moment. Okay. But the unintentional blame and shame messages and enablement found in many workplace diversity and inclusion programs. Yeah, D&I, we call them diversity and inclusion. A lot of companies are putting these plans into place, but guess what? They work the opposite. Many men feel excluded and alienated. They become the ones who can't get ahead. They can't get named to boards because they're being blamed for things that maybe a lot of them didn't do. So we're talking about a gender divide. It's real. It's not a phantom. It's there. It's pervasive in our culture around the world. How can we begin to value the entire workforce without blaming and shaming, without saying things about people, without this mindset that somebody is better than or more qualified than. No, we're not getting political. So we have a great panel today. Let me tell you who they are, and then I'll introduce them, of course, with their opening quotes. First up, we are welcoming back on Game Changes, Tina C. Nielsen. She's the founder of Move the Elephant for Inclusiveness. What a clever name for a company. And the co-founder of Inclusion Nudges Global Community of Sharing. We'll be welcoming Tina along with Gabby Berlaku. I think I finally got her last name right, Gabby Berlaku. She's an industrial organization psychologist working as a human capital management researcher at SAP Success Factors. We've known Gabby for years and thrilled to have her back. And we're also welcoming to the panel today Dr. Patty Fletcher, who calls herself a futurist working with SAP Success Factors to help change how the world thinks about the role of core HR. She is also an entrepreneur in residence at Babson College, which sounds very exciting. Maybe she'll tell us about it. We're going to be talking about DNI. Yes, diversity and inclusion. We're going to be talking about where is this unconscious bias coming from. So let me get started welcoming Tina C. Nelson. And Tina has sent a quote from Rosa Parks. Those of you who are too young to remember, Rosa Louise Macaulay Parks, who lived from 1913 to 2005, was an African-American civil rights activist in the U.S. whom the U.S. Congress called the First Lady of Civil Rights and the Mother of the Freedom Movement. And this all stemmed from an event on December 1st, 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, when Rosa Parks, as many people did in those days, refused to obey a bus driver's order to give up her seat in the quote-unquote 
colored section to a white passenger after the white section of the bus was filled. The NAACP believed that she was the best candidate to go through a court challenge after her arrest for civil disobedience in violating Alabama segregation laws. If you want to know more, just take a look. But she was a very brave lady, and her birthday, February 4th, and the day she was arrested, December 1st, have both become Rosa Parks Day, commemorated in California, Missouri, Ohio, and Oregon. There you go. So here's the quote that Tina has selected from Rosa Parks. Quote, I have learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. Knowing what must be done does away with fear. Tina C. Nielsen, welcome back to Game Changers. How are you, Tina? I'm good, and thank you so much for inviting me again. Oh, we're delighted to have you. Oh, good, good, good. You're in Denmark, so all day is a long day for you. I'm in New York, so it's only a little after 11. Talk to me. Uh, You're in Denmark, Tina, and Rosa Parks is very much, I'll say, a a well-deserved legend here in the United States. I'm curious about how you picked this quote, and tell us how this relates to our topic about unconscious bias and diversity and inclusion. Go ahead, Tina. Yeah, I... um I'm I'm fascinated by what she's done. I think it links to what we talked about last time as well, about tiny changes can actually make a huge impact, and it often comes from individuals or small groups of committed citizens. So for me, um, she she's just stands out as a symbol of somebody following her heart and, and doing something and standing strong on that. Um, I think when it comes to inclusion and diversity, um, there is a lot of fear associated with this, but in an unconscious kind of way. It's not necessarily a kind of fear that you feel or are aware of, but what I often experience when I'm working with organizations worldwide on this issue, um, managers and leaders uh, would come up to me afterwards and they will almost whisper, like, I'm, I'm totally in. I just don't know how to do it. Like, in my mm. daily actions, I don't even know how to do this. I mean help me. It's, it's, it's really profound. And um, so I think that knowing what to do and if we can enable people to do this, um, actually even enable them in an unconscious way, I think we, we can uh, make much more progress. That's it. Thank, thank you, Tina. Interesting. And, and talking mm-hmm. about unconscious bias, the implication there is that you're doing it because let's say, let's say it's in your genes, it's in your culture, it's something you grew up with, with family or friends or even teachers in your community saying, oh, this person isn't as good as you or we don't talk to this kind of people. I'm keeping this very generic, obviously, Tina. And so if it's unconscious, and I, I love the quote from Rosa Parks, but if it's unconscious, I think that diminishing of the fear is making up your mind to say, I will become conscious of my unconscious bias. Do you agree with that? No, definitely not. Um, I actually, I don't believe in awareness doing this for us. Um, Ah. The kind of knowledge I'm talking about is actually also uh, giving people the feeling of, I have the ability to do this. And um, I think we will, when we get further into um, to the discussions today, I will definitely give some examples on how we can design behavior and design processes and organizations where we give people the ability, but without relying on their conscious awareness necessarily of what they're doing. So we can actually create a new kind of norm, you could say, in terms of how we behave that is less excluding and more including. You know, so I lo- yeah, that requires some examples. That's a little bit too abstract, but I'll leave it at that. I don't believe in awareness doing it for us. 
It's not I love it. I'm, I'm talking about. I sit mm-hmm. corrected, and I like that. That's why we. I learned so much from my panelists. Thank you, very very articulate <laughs> uh, panelists. <laughs> Correct me anytime. It's good because I'm. I am learning from you and from Patty and from Gabby. Thank you, Tina, for joining us, and we'll talk to you in a few more minutes. Now let's bring on Dr. Gabby Berlaku, and I mentioned she works at SAP Success Factors, and Gabby has selected a fascinating quote from a fictitious character. It's Jack, and I'll pronounce this right, Donaghy, uh, often pronounced in different fashions by his brother and father. He it was played by Alec Baldwin, is on 30 Rock, the TV show, and it's an NBC TV sitcom. He begins the series as vice president of East Coast Television and microwave oven programming for General Electric, and later serves as the head at, of NBC after it is bought by the fictional Cable Town with a capital K. By the way, uh, Donaghy, played by Baldwin, has received two Primetime Emmy Awards, three Golden Globe Awards, seven Screen Actors Guild Awards, and one TV Critics Association Award. That was received all by Sir Baldwin. I'm going to call it Sir Baldwin. He's sure been around long enough to be knighted by various factions. Now, let's talk about the quote that Gabby has selected. I'll tell you who has it the hardest in this country. White men. We make the unpopular, difficult decisions, the tough choice. OMG. Gabby Berlocco, welcome back. How are you, Gabby? I'm doing great. How are you, Bonnie? I'm fine. I love the quote. I've I've never really gotten into 30 Rock, so I actually had to look this up and find out everything I needed to know about Jack Donaghy. So are you a big follower, fan of 30 Rock? Oh, my gosh. Well, I do like the show. So obviously this is a humorous quote coming from a humorous show and, and not a reflection of what I truly think is going on. <laughs> um, but when it pertains to diversity and inclusion, I think one of the things we're here to talk about today is this blame and shame game where we're talking about diversity or the lack of diversity being somebody's fault. And most often that blame, whether we implic- whether we mean this to happen or not, Gets shifted toward our business leaders because they look a certain way, because they exist, because they're named David or John, they are standing in the way of women and underrepresented groups um, advancing in the workplace. And one of the things that we're seeing is that this kind of this kind of thing that we communicate to business leaders through diversity programs that they really need to invest in fixing a system that's broken, despite the fact that they've actually achieved success in the system is getting these kinds of reactions or less extreme reactions of they're put in a position where the white men are feeling very unpopular. And the research is showing that that can be just as detrimental to productivity, employee engagement, as underrepresenting other groups can be. Interesting, interesting. Thank you. I I know the quote was tongue in cheek, and I appreciate that. Uh, but going back to my opening, it certainly is a question: is who's? I, I think they've done studies, Gabby, and you may you may be part of these or familiar with these, where uh, teachers are interviewed about who their favorite students are, and it's usually the pretty or handsome girls and boys, the ones who look more appealing. And we find that I've I've read that in business as well. The people who are attractive or who have names that are more familiar, at least back in the day, were more likely to get the plum jobs based on a a face-to-face interview. Is this still true, Gabby? Oh, yes. I have not seen very recent research on this, but I think it is a well-known thing that certain people because of their personal characteristics and not necessarily their qualifications, get more opportunities at work. Now, the question of whose fault is it 
is a very, very interesting one. And who is it making the tough decisions? And how can we make it more inclusive so we're talking about and people with qualifications, regardless of physical characteristics, can achieve success rather than or can we pit each other against one another to get the limited spots at the top? Yep, I just Googled it, Gabby, and uh, here's an interesting uh, article, December 6, 2013, all right, almost three years old, from dailymail.co.uk. Forget university, it's a pretty face that helps advance you in your career. Oh, my goodness. Being pretty has an impact on the type of jobs people do. Shocking moment. Girls get viciously. Oh, never mind. That's another article. Uh, Pretty girls get more perks. Attractive people are more successful. That's an article in Business Insider. The beauty advantage, how looks affect your work. Here's scienceblog.com. Who knew good-looking people get better jobs? How much is being attractive worth? That's from Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, do beautiful women get jobs easily? Why do only pretty girls get jobs? The truth about why beautiful people are more attractive to hiring agents. Interesting, interesting. Okay, we're getting on a tangent here, but there, there's an unconscious bias. And and uh, I know Tina will have something to say about that. Let's move on and welcome Patty Could Fletcher. Waiting. Yes, yes, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, <laughs> actually, Tina. There's research showing, actually, there's research showing that if you're a good-looking woman and everybody in HR are women screening your application, you don't have that good odds. Just wanted to add that. So then oh. it actually triggers an unconscious part of your brain where the feeling envy is placed. So yeah, I just wanted mm. to add that. It just makes adds the complexity to this, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> On to Patty. And it is a complex topic, and that's why the three of you brilliant people are here with me today to teach us. So, <laughs> Dr. Patty Fletcher, I have to mention Patty sponsors our series, Changing the Game with HR. Patty, are you coming back for another season in 2017? I hope so. I hope okay. so. We have really yeah. enjoyed the topic, so I, I really we hope got so. to. We have to. I'll work with you. We'll get that done. we got to add you to the mix. So Patty has selected a quote from Nelson Mandela. Three such interesting sources for the quotes today. So appropriate to our topic. Nelson Mandela was a South African anti-apartheid revolutionary politician and philanthropist who served as president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. And interesting that he served 27 years in prison in various prisons in South Africa and amid international pressure and growing fear of a racial civil war, President F.W. de Klerk released Mandela in 1990, and he and together the two of them negotiated an end to apartheid, and then Mandela went on to serve as president not only of the country, but president of the ANC party, that's African National Congress from 1991 to 1997, and he was the country's first black head of state and the first elected in a, here's an interesting term, fully representative democratic election. That was an aha for them. Here's the quote Patty has selected from Mandela. Part of being optimistic is keeping one's head pointed toward the sun, one's feet moving forward. Patty Fletcher, how are you? I'm wonderful, Bonnie. Thank you. I'm glad to have you. Patty, you've been traveling, you've been talking to, you've been visiting uh, the U.S. government, you've been talking about inclusion, you've been talking about diversity. So tell us about the quote and then just a quick overview of your recent travels. We'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. So, you know, that quote's so important and it's important because um, the example that Tina had with Rosa, the example that Gabby had with with, um, 
one of my favorite shows, is that this is about a cultural change. And that's what Nelson was talking about. I mean, come on. He was in prison for so long for all of the wrong reasons and ended up making friends with the guards. He changed his mind. And, and you know, that's really rather important, right? And so when you are leading a cultural transformation that really requires that you question everything, then it's hard. You're ruffling someone's feathers. There are those who are creating the change, who get upset when the people around them don't quite see the need to bust up that status quo like he must have faced, right? And we we saw Mm -hmm. that. And then there are those who are having change happen to them. And in our case, that's the white guy. And so it's incredibly difficult. And you know, there's absolutely, in, in kind of segueing into D.C., so I was down there for a week and met with heads of caucus, heads of committee, both Congress and, and Senate, um, met with the White House, met with organizations that are representing some of the largest tech companies and some of the largest companies, period, in the United States. And what's so interesting, and I love the topic that Tina brought up, and in the the world that Gabby and I live in, which is the tech world, it's called choice architecture, where you're removing some of those choices that people would make based on their bias. And that really does help us get away from the blame and shame. And what was so wonderful down in D.C. and having these conversations and representing what SAP cares about when it comes to enabling our customers and, quite frankly, ourselves to harness all the best talent is that... um, the conversations are finally moving from the why to the how. And isn't that wonderful? So instead of the awareness that Tina talked to, which, you know, does take place, it's we no longer have to justify. Maybe it makes sense to have more women in the boardroom than guys named John or David only, and there's a whole list of those guys, right, that are, that are there. Mm-hmm. And maybe it makes sense to focus in on something else, right? Hire the pretty woman if she's qualified. The thing that I think is really important on this topic, though, is each of us has to hold up a mirror because each of us has unconscious bias. We are not Heidi and Mighty on this phone. We are not. We all have them. We all have triggers that are probably not malicious, right? So what I love about the conversations is companies are realizing that they, enough with the justification, enough with the, hmm, there's a problem and it really has to change. What do we actually do about it? And what what are those things that we found are working? And by the way, nobody has all the answers. So what does that look like, too, when you are leading large-scale change like this? Very interesting, Patty. You're talking about, uh, we're talking a little bit about unconscious bias, and I so appreciate Tina's comment that awareness is not going to solve the problem. But Patty, to your point, when I am researching a company, for whatever reason, I come across somebody on LinkedIn, they want to connect with me, I want to know who they are, what they do, why should I have them in my so-called network, okay? I will look mm-hmm. at the company, and Patty, I will scan the members of their C-suite. I will look at the pictures, the names, and if I don't see any women... I make a decision, not good, not current, not inclusive. And I'm not a big marcher for this stuff. You know that. But Mm -hmm. it it is my, I would like to say it's my conscious bias that makes me want to see at least one woman in a major role in any company that says they have something to do and that they're making a difference in the world. So is that a good thing, Patty? 
I think if it makes sense for you, it's a good thing. I do think that there's something that, you know, Gabby has said, business has not changed in terms of how it's constructed in well over a century, right? So we have this status quo that we just assume is how things are when we are creating a company, the fact that nobody questions um, that there is an all-male um an all-male anything, and yet if there's an all-female anything like Nicole Sahin, who we had on the phone last week, mm, on the radio with right. me last week, right, who has an all-female leadership team, and oh, by the way, they're the number six fastest-growing company in the U.S., yes. and everybody talks about it. So, you know, do I think that that's okay? I think if it makes sense for you, yes. I think for me personally, I also look at that. I now won't go to conferences that don't have Africans on the stage, that don't have women on the stage. We live in a world that is represented by multiple cultures, multiple genders, right? All of those things, two genders plus, uh, you know, emerging. And that's incredibly important to me to have businesses that not only recognize the importance of that, but understand that if they don't have that reflected in their own company, they're going to struggle with how to serve those populations they're trying to sell and market to. Thank you very much. Very interesting point of view. Thank you, Patty. And now let's circle back to Tina C. Nielsen calling from somewhere in Denmark. Tina, remind me where you are. What time of day is it? We'd love to know what you're drinking right now or what you're planning to drink after the show. Okay. So I'm in Aarhus, which is the second largest city of Denmark. Um, It's 525 in the afternoon here, so um, my kids are starting to come home from school. I have three daughters um, drinking a ginger shot. So that's like a thing we have going in the family. We make it ourselves, like fresh ginger, boil in water, and we leave it in, in there for a while. So it gets really, really hot and strong, and we have this little competition going. Who can actually drink a ginger shot without you know, giving up? And Yeah, it's this little family thing. I like that. I like that. Very, Mm -hmm. very interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Ginger Shot. I'll remember that. Gabby, where are you today? What are you drinking? What powers you? What powers me? So I am in Portland, Oregon, um, which is really living up to its rainy reputation this week. I Mm. am all cozied up at 8.30 in the morning with a mint tea and dreaming of summer. So that's what powers me. (laughs) <laughs> oh, nice dreaming. I I was in Eugene for about 10 years, Gabby. I don't know if I told you that. That's right, so yes. I beautiful. remember the rainy days, the rainy years, the rainy decade. I remember once they predicted snow and everybody prepared to shut down the city of Eugene. It snowed and there were two inches on the ground. School buses couldn't go. Businesses couldn't open. They had no clue what to do with snow. So everything shut down <laughs> for 24 hours. Coming from New York, of course, you know, I've lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Patty, where where we used to have 12 mm-hmm. to 14 inches of snow and people would pre-shovel so the husband, excuse me, the husband could find a place to park when he came home from work after work. The wives and the kids would shovel that cherished space in front of the house on the street so that there was just enough for the car. And God help you if you parked in somebody else's space. Oh, that's oh. remembering out the summer, the summer chairs, right, to mark the space. <laughs> that's right. Otherwise, something's going to go down and it's not going to be. Yeah, something's yeah. going to go down, North Cambridge. <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully, they've ch- figured out a digital way to do that. Anyway, no, thank you. It's and the same. <laughs> Patty, tell me, uh, where are you today, back from your travels, and where are you going next? And what are you drinking that powers Dr. Patty Fletcher? I love it. So today I am at home, which is shocking, which is in Natick, Massachusetts. It is 
like the calm before the storm. I, like you, Bonnie, are probably watching the weather um, to see if we get the, mm-hmm. the hurricane, if it's going to hit us. Um, I will be in, in Brooklyn this weekend visiting my cousin, so I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't, um, it doesn't wreck those plans and that everyone stays safe. Um, and I am drinking what I drink every day, which is Dunkin' Donuts coffee, as long as I can get it. So I'm enjoying my last cup of the day. Oh, nice. Thank you very much. And a shout-out to Massachusetts. Where is Natickree in regard to Cambridge? How far away are you? About 12 miles. Very, very close. Oh, I, th- I thought so. Yeah, okay. I must yeah. have walked there or biked there or somewhere when back in the day. Thank you, Patty. As Patty knows, and Tina and Gabby may remember, they don't let me have caffeinated beverages on radio show days. So I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a green straw. And I will say that the green is represented of spring that is gone, of the fall that is still very green here in New York. My garden is just starting to blossom. My petunias, I thought, were the minis. Forget that I bought the giant petunias it took two months they're now a foot and a half tall and just starting to bloom and it's October God bless my garden so we'll see marigolds as well giant marigolds a foot tall a couple of buds what can I tell you the green is for spring recently passed for a blossoming winter and winter or season around the world where we bring awareness of the issue Tina and we bring the skills to change the unconscious bias I think I hit that one all there (laughs) hopefully I buttoned that one up so you're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers if you're keeping track I think this is show number 251 lost track we try to do about 49 or 50 live episodes a year but as our Game Changers listeners may know we also have 22 other series including the one sponsored by Dr. Patty Fletcher changing the game with HR bringing you interesting thought leaders who are smart, savvy, and good conversationalists. That's all we want to do is bring you ideas, insights, inspiration, and some business strategies along the way. So today is October 5th, Wednesday, 2016. We are talking about diversity and inclusion minus the blame and shame. We're going to find out a lot more from Tina C. Nielsen, Gabby Burlaku, and Dr. Patty Fletcher in just a minute. So don't even think of of touching that mouse, moving that dial, however you're listening to us. We'll be right back. Michael out. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at twitter hashtag saprado Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. We're talking today about diversity and inclusion minus the blame and shame. Our panel today is Tina C. Nielsen of Move the Elephant for Inclusiveness and Dr. Gabby Burlocku at SAP Success Factors and Dr. Patty Fletcher as well. I guess Tina and I are the only two without the doctor today on the show, so we've got a good balance here. Okay, now... Tina, I'm, look, I'm looking, yeah. talk about inclusion, talk about diversity. Uh, Tina, I'm looking at your notes. Here's where we agreed to start the roundtable. So let me read this and then you'll comment. You say, I don't believe when we talk, we can talk our way out of this. We have to design our way out of this and to change for inclusion and equality. Tina, please tell us more. Yeah, so... Um, as I, I touched upon before, I don't believe awareness can do it. And as Patty said, we we see movement when we design and use behavioral insights and we make these choice architecture. We simply redesign the decision-making processes that people are in. And we can do that in many different ways, um, but it does require that we understand what's driving human behavior. So if we look at a lot of um, behavioral interventions that's been designed, um, if we take inspiration from uh, organ donation systems where in the countries where you ask people to register in the system, you will have the majority of citizens say, yes, I want to register, but they're actually not doing it because it's so complex to do it. Whereas the countries where they flip the norm and say, we have registered you in the system, and um, you can opt out anytime. So instead of asking people to opt in, we're asking people to opt out. And that does a significant difference because those countries, they almost have 100% of the citizens in, in the system, and that saves lives. So if we take that insight from behavioral architecture and apply that to inclusion diversity challenges, we're going to see major changes as well. So organizations that are starting to do this say they flip the norm in um, in uh, the meetings where, they, where leaders meet up to discuss who should have the next promotion, who should we um, give a successor plan to, you know, who should we invest in. It tends to be that they ask a very neutral question like, who's ready? And then they start finding the evidence, you know, why is that person ready? And that just reconfirms the bias because that, you know, pointing out those people is a very biased process because we tend to, to point out the similar others or those who look like the majority of those who are already in that kind of position. So the country, uh, companies or organizations where they flip the norm and say, in that meeting, we're going to ask a different question. We're going to say, everybody's ready. Everybody in this pool of candidates are ready. And now we're going to have to ask a different question. Why would that candidate not be ready? Why would that candidate not be ready? And then go through the entire group of, of those people. So it's really about changing your perception, literally flipping the perception and forcing your brain to see something different than just what you see with your biased mind. So so little things like that, and there are many ways that we can flip the default to uh, to make progress in inclusion diversity. There are other ways, you know, like with technology, you can actually redesign a recruit online recruiting system to make sure that you don't see the picture of the people or the gender or the name of the candidate so that you're not being affected um, by this and it's not triggering a subjective way of evaluating the applicants. So technology can really help us go a long way with this. But some, you know, in some areas you can't use technology only, So, but you can still apply that behavioral insight. So companies are using a lot of money on search companies to find the right candidates. They're even putting forward a requirement saying, listen, we want you to come up with a shortlist. 
with different candidates of different gender, you know, different generations, different nationalities. We want to see that diversity. And they're really working hard on this. What we do when we get the shortlist is we, we kind of mess it up because we allow that shortlist to have all that identity data that's going to make us biased. All we have to do is put that extra requirement in and say, give us the shortlist without the names, the gender, the picture. We don't want to see all that identity. We want to look only mm. on competences, skills, you know, and and so on. So um, this is this is a way that we can actually we can we can do a lot. We can design our way out of this in, in many ways. Thank you, Tina. It sounds so simple the way you put it. It it sounds like something that should be so easy. And yet, Gabby, why don't you chime in? Gabby, thoughts on what Tina just put out for us? Well, Bonnie, I completely agree. So going back to unconscious awareness training is something that a lot of organizations are pursuing, and it's actually fairly innovative in the grand scheme of DNI programs because, you know, it's rooted in psychology and it's a recognition of the fact that we all hold these implicit, you know, biases and tendencies, but we just have to find a way to control them. But what's interesting is research shows that it's usually not effective and even more interesting, sometimes it fully backfires because you're pointing things out and differences that only make things worse. So one of the things that that I've heard in the market um, to combat sort of this idea of diversity fatigue, like constantly being told as a business leader, as a manager, you're doing it wrong, you're making the wrong decisions, you're perpetuating the problem, and you get tired of being told that you're doing it wrong with all of the other things on your plate in, in the workplace. Um, but one of the things I'm hearing increasingly in the market is this idea of the inclusion nudges or being able to just kind of subtly push people toward more inclusive decision-making without, you know, creating awareness or telling them the way that they're doing it currently is wrong, but rather just kind of making the right choice a little bit easier. And I heard at a conference earlier this year a great analogy for this. Uh, they were talking about, the, the presenter was talking about how, there was a company where people kept walking on the grass, and they worked with a designer to try to understand how can we get people to stop walking on the grass. And what the designer ended up doing was putting a sidewalk in where people already walk. So they're no longer walking on the grass, but they're walking in the same place that they were, and now it's just easier to make the right choice with the presence of the sidewalk. So to Tina's point, there are simple, subtle ways, changing the question, changing the technology, changing how we approach these decisions that I think could potentially be a lot more promising than constantly pointing out, okay, whatever you were doing traditionally, it's wrong. Do it differently in the future. Very interesting. Patty Fletcher, inclusion nudges. Talk to me. What do you see? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think a few things. I think, um, I can't help but think about my first residency I went to and I was on my PhD program and the facilitator looked at all of us budding, very nervous people about to go on their PhD journey and said, the number one thing you have to remember when you are going down the scholarly route is nobody gives an SHIT what you think. And so what that meant and what he meant to say by that is your construction of meaning is going to bias you when what you're supposed to be doing is looking at the evidence in front of you. And so when I hear what Tina has to say, I think, gosh, it really makes sense. One, we're not blaming and shaming to Gabby's point and pointing the finger and saying everything you've done before is wrong the way you think is wrong. But instead, we're offering what sounds very simple but is indeed very complex, and that is your construction of meaning. What's a different way? to come to the, I'm now going to hire or promote 
or invest in the best people for the job. Here's a way we can do that without calling it out. And I have to say, Tina, I was at a conference a a few weeks ago, and somebody was um, at the conference was presenting their research on nudge, but they had a different definition of nudge than you um, than that you had just presented. Their nudge was, in fact, um, like literally going. Hey, Mr. Manager, the way you're doing things doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me nudge you with what you can do. And they were showing this research that it made a difference. And I, there, you know, those of us who've been in this world for a while are sitting together in the same row, just in complete disbelief that research would show any real change with that because I have not seen that before. And I'm wondering, it's interesting, and I think that part of it is because this is, again, an emerging area, although the research on the topic of the why has been around, but the how is really fairly new, that we're having language used, as happens so often, in multiple ways. And so that is where awareness is important on, on one side of the fence for Scarly, are we using the same terms? But I just thought it was very interesting, Tina, and I couldn't help but think of you and just watching the work that you've been doing for so long. I think we need yes. to get Tina in on this. Tina, go ahead. Yes, yes, that's very interesting because we have research from, uh, you know, behavioral econ- economists who've been working with nudging for a long time where there are also mm-hmm. um, some evidence showing that if you know you're being nudged, it doesn't work. I mean, so exactly. that's interesting. <laughs> and another thing is I've been working with a big multinational and we decided to teach the managers of how to design these inclusion nudges and how to apply these principles behind that and, and those three different types of, of interventions you can design. And they, they, um, they came back and said, you know, that, that really, really helped. But that's also a different thing because now you build it up as a skill as a manager mm-hmm. and it's not like you feel like you're being nudged yourself, you know. So, so, but, but it's interesting and I hope and we're going to have more research on this. But, but I love that both uh, you and Gabby, Patty and Gabby, you both said inclusion nudges because I actually haven't said it. <laughs> <Not bad. laughs> because this, this terminology comes from, um, Actually, way back when I was the, the global head of inclusion and diversity in a multinational, and I was struggling with how do you get 19,000 people to act more inclusive if you cannot talk to them? And if it's not your mm-hmm. job as a specialist to convince them, knowing that we have the Romeo and Juliet effect, we don't want to be told what to do. We want to experience this. We want to get to the conclusion ourselves. We want to be enabled to do it, empowered to do it, but don't tell us what to do, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting dilemma to be in. So I started, you know, applying behavioral insights and nudging and choice architecture to get this movement going, and it was magical how this was working. And I started experimenting with the managers and together with the managers, and we designed a lot of these interventions, and it was working. And it empowered and enabled them to take and cascade this into their teams to get true behavioral change and systemic change and cultural change in a much faster way. So, you know, there, there are three different kinds of inclusion nudges. One is where you need to get people motivated to do this, give them an eye-opener, unfreeze their behavior and habits. And then you can enable them with, with some new interventions, and then you can actually help them freeze that new kind of behavior as the norm. And it's an interesting learning process. But for me, it all started with, you know, I, I just said to myself, how can I nudge the unconscious mind? And then I met Lisa Kapinski, another internal 
And she'd been doing similar things, applying behavioral insights. And we started merging our approaches, and out of that came a very systematic way to design these interventions. And, and it's, it's working. So the mission for us now is actually how can we enable and empower as many as possible to apply these insights? And, and, and Bonnie, to your point, you say it sounds mm-hmm. so simple. I'll say these interventions, when they yes. are designed, they are simple. Mm-hmm. And that's why people love it and managers love it in a busy day-to-day world. But we should not burden them with the terminology inclusion nudges because that's what we did with the unconscious bias thing mm-hmm. and that backlashing. That's backlashing. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not up for the burden them with another terminology or buzzword. It's more like a work terminology and methodology on how to get this going. And there is a but significant difference. Sorry, I do think it's dangerous, though, that people who are working on this, if they are using these words and don't have a common understanding or agreement, because we are so new. Yes. So while I wouldn't, I right, did, I wouldn't. So yeah. agree with you. I worry yeah. a little bit now uh, when I hear somebody say inclusion nudges, and I'm like, oh, no, that's not no. an inclusion nudge. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we need some but education. But it, that's why we're yes, talking about the this. The design process, yeah, the design process is really complicated because you are designing behavior. It's, it's a very complicated manner, but the intervention itself comes across as quite simple. But, uh, yes, we should not fool ourselves thinking that we could just, you know, top of mind, just, you know, do this. Okay, uh, I'm putting this all out on Twitter. We're going to find out what people say. Let me move to some topics here from Gabby Burlock. Gabby, I'm looking way down in your notes here. Here's something interesting I think we need to tackle. Uh, I don't think we've touched on it yet. You say diversity targets and quotas are a controversial practice that rests right on the fault line of this issue. Are people still using targets for this? Are they still using quotas versus the old quotas of who couldn't come in? Now it's who everybody who needs to come in. Gabby, can you enlighten us? Oh, sure. So I see this quite often with organizations where quotas is not quite the right word. It's more like targets, diversity targets. We want a certain percentage of our new hires to be from diverse, uh, you know, demographic categories, a certain percentage of our leadership uh, positions to be certain underrepresented groups. And in a way, this is actually really wonderful because it starts the conversation going. And again, it kind of serves to correct an imbalance. Now, that being said, you know, starting the conversation of what would need to happen in order to get more underrepresented people in the door, there is significant backlash. and, And you can see clearly how that influences members of, you know, majority groups um, that, that may feel threatened in terms of their jobs or their, their access to opportunities. So I'll give a great example of Intel. Intel is a wonderful company that instituted in 2015 that in the next year they wanted 40% of their new hires to be either women or minorities. And they mm-hmm. have surpassed it. And their CEO, in my opinion, did a pretty good job of explaining that, look, this is not just a diversity target for target's sake. This is about going out and getting the absolute best talent, but it's also about removing our blinders to what that might look like. So what ended up happening, him and his diversity team, they received death threats. And if you read any article online about this or similar companies that have tried similar things and you scroll down to the comments section, it's a really great education on some of the most hateful people in our nation and kind of how they react to the idea that, Somebody might get a position that isn't as qualified simply because of their demographic characteristics. So that's really the danger with the diversity target. Is it a good thing for starting the conversation? Yes. 
But from the blame and shame perspective and this idea that a win for minorities is a loss for majority group members, it can really, really perpetuate that. So again, it's this idea of how do we communicate that we're looking for all the best talent? And if the best talent is a white male, perfect, then we've done our job. And not just that we're looking to fill quotas or targets for the sake of building diversity. Mm-hmm. Blame and shame has a very wide reach, doesn't it, in all kinds of oh, things yeah. in our country. Oh, yeah, very popular today. Dr. Patty Fletcher, talk to us. What do you think about these diversity targets and quotas Gabby's mentioning? I feel like Gabby just threw me a bone. So um, I was on a panel a few weeks ago with the chief diversity officer from Intel. They had just, um, it was, was while I was in, D- while I was in D.C., they had just released some fantastic research um, that Gabby and I have, have been leveraging. And, you know, it's really interesting and about that whole period of time. And quite frankly, it's still happening, right? So whenever you put a target out there of this population has been underrepresented and now we want to make sure that we increase representation, the people who feel left out feel left out and some have very extreme reactions. And so in listening to the, to the chief diversity officer talk, about when she has the opportunity to sit down with, you know, she, the, the middle-aged white man and, and who says, you know, this isn't fair. I've been in this company for two decades, mm-hmm. and nobody's paying attention to me. Nobody cares about me. I don't have tears for advancement. She said the conversation always goes with, really, tell me about your career here at, at Intel. And, hmm, and did you apply for those jobs? And what ends up happening is the same narrative over and over and over again, which is these folks have enjoyed the freedom of being able to go into new positions where someone else advocated for them, where they were able to make the position their own. So these are unfounded pieces of anger. Not one time was there a fact Based, I am angry that she was able to find that that person really did have, wasn't able to do something so that somebody else could, right? So it's this thing of you're taking something away and therefore versus the fact base, which is this is really about an and versus an or. I thought that was so incredibly aha, right? And it wasn't surprising at all, but so important. So when it comes to the blame and shame, that's such a human condition we put in there when we feel like somebody is being chosen over us. I didn't do anything wrong. Or somebody, Mm. to Gabby's point, is being told, you know, although you've put all this investment that the way you've been doing is wrong. And just being able to have a conversation, the challenge comes in much of Tina's work is about, and how do you that because there's no way their chief diversity officer can have a conversation with every single person who's angry, death threat, or disgruntled or otherwise. So how do we how do we actually do that? And quotas are in this country, in the United States, a pretty dirty subject. I will say my mind has changed over the years um, on this topic simply because nothing else makes the results as quickly. Um, so I, I, it is a little bit of a challenge. What's interesting, though, and, and Tina, I wonder if you've seen this research, I think it's in Norway maybe, that came out recently from the Diana Project, where they had investigated where there are, you know, you have to have so many number of women on your board. What did not happen, though, although the number of women were hit, other changes such as pay equity did not occur. So pretty interesting stuff. 
Gina, go ahead. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've seen research on showing that the um, the level of competences among the men went up. Yeah. <laughs> so the, yep. the choice process actually improved significantly. <laughs> but just to add to the whole discussion around targets and the feeling of losing privileges or you know power position entitlement and all this that it actually activates in in a lot of the people who've been the privileged. Um, one one thing that does work in terms of shifting the whole perception around um, diversity is to look at what is it that we're trying to achieve. And what we what we did was that we flipped the the target. We changed the target. So instead of communicating to the business, now we have to have say thirty percent women in management. It became unconsciously the associations and connotations in people's mind was, okay, so now we're helping the women or, okay, so now we have to help the minorities on behalf of everybody else and behalf and, you know, putting competences at risk. We don't want that connotation to happen. So what we did was we looked at research showing if you have a critical mass um, in your team of 30%, then that team have, um, you know, higher ability for innovation and performance. So we flipped it. We flipped the target and said, we're setting targets for how to compose high-performing and innovative teams, and you can maximum have 70% of the same gender in the team, maximum 70% of the same nationality, maximum 70% of the same generational. And, you know, so we put in characteristics like that, and we framed it up completely different. I have not in that organization where we did this, met any resistance or any, you know, feeling of losing entitlement because now the focus was on, you know, high performance and every manager would want such a team. So we flipped it. And it wasn't like people, it wasn't a quota. It was more like a guiding principle. And we saw this cascade into the organization and managers were saying, hey, when we restructure our work teams, we're going to follow the same guiding principle because this totally makes sense. And we also have a lot of areas in the organization where there are a majority of, of women in the teams. Um, so it was about not making this a numbers game on the organizational workplace level and a workforce of the entire organization, but actually looking at team level because it also empowers and enables the managers to do something because they are, you know, they have their own teams. So, so it's again, it's, it's, this is a, a, again an, an, a way of making an inclusion nudge where you not the unconscious mind to be more inclusive, but you don't trigger fear or shame or, you know, loss aversion bias. You know, we, we hate losing something. So it, it doesn't trigger that. Thank you, Tina. Ladies, we're almost at the end of the show. We're ready for the predictions round. I know, not enough time. Great conversation. But, Patty, I'm going to read one of your notes. We didn't get to your topics, but you blend in in a lot of them, obviously, into the conversation. Patty, I'm going to get a one-sentence response from you, and then we'll go back to Tina. I'm going to give you each exactly 60 seconds, no more, for predictions. Patty, you say, from flexible job schedules to virtual working environments, millennials have challenged traditional organization designs and position job position criteria and this is a good thing one sentence response patty fletcher the fact of the matter is that unless we change how we structure and what success looks like millennials who favor freedom and favor the ability to contribute where and when they want will change the workforce themselves 
Thank you. That's not your prediction, mm-hmm. but it could have been. Let's go to Tina. 60 seconds, and yeah. I mean 60 seconds. Tina C. Nielsen, predictions. What will change dramatically about this topic at some point in the future? Tell me when and what. Go fast. Uh, build on Pattis. She says we're moving from a why do we need to do this to a how How do we do this. I really believe that um, this, this is where we will be uh, seeing much more um, activity and a lot more conversations going. And now we can start applying the hero of science. Thank you. That was brief and to the point. I appreciate that. A little more time for Gabby. Gabby, I can give you the full 60 seconds and maybe a little bit more, but not much. So Gabby Berlaku, go ahead. Gabby, predict. All right. Well, I hope that this happens in the coming years. And to Patty's point with, you know, new generations coming into the workforce and kind of changing the game in terms of how we think, more of a focus on the and instead of the or. More of a focus on, you know, forget this zero-sum game where if I win, somebody else has to lose. But how can we all be included, develop our careers, be productive in an organization so that the organization and the workers win. Another thing that I think is critical is this idea of changing how we think about diversity. So right now we're so hung up on the demographics, but what we're actually talking about is diversity of perspectives, of backgrounds, of thought that all come together to create something new. So this idea that I hope in the coming years we'll focus less on how people look and those superficial characteristics and more on the diversity of what they bring to the table. And again, wrapping that into we need all these different perspectives, not just the diverse ones or the ones we traditionally think of as diverse. Thank you, Gabby. Patty, I saved a minute for you. Go ahead, Dr. Patty Fletcher. Predict. Thank you. So so with, with both, right, where we're focusing on the how, one of the things that has to change is data, meaning that there is some focus in on um, unsiloing the data so that we start to understand as a collective um, workforce leader what is it that we can do that actually changes the game when it comes to the demographic, whether we are talking about styles of work or we're talking about things like gender or nationality or age. So I do see in the future um, a lot more focus in on that very valuable data that can give us some best practices that actually tie these decisions to business outcomes. So you do have the high-performance teams that are impacting bottom line as well as innovation. Thank you, Patty. Tina C. Nielsen, I have to do a shout-out to you. You're the founder of Move the Elephant for Inclusiveness. I see in your notes, together with your business partner, Lisa Kapinski, I believe you just mentioned her, the Inclusion Nudges approach was named Top 10 Diversity Consultants by the Global Diversity List, supported by The Economist. Bravo, Tina. Keep up the good work. Gabby, pleasure to have you on. And Patty, thank you for putting together this panel. Patty, I'm looking forward to another season of your series, Changing the Game with HR, starting in January or February. So you and I will talk. We have to do it. It's too important. We can't let it go. So ladies, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. We've been talking about diversity and inclusion. Stop the blame and shame game. Use, use inclusion nudges. If you didn't hear enough about this, go check it out online. Look up Tennessee Nielsen and see what it's all about. And I want to say a thank you to Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Have a great day. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. We are lurching ahead. we got to do something about this. Stop blaming shame. Go for diversity and inclusion. Make it count. Make it matter. Make it the right way. So fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. We're counting on you. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.